This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with former United States Senator, Governor of Rhode Island, and presidential candidate, Lincoln Chafee. In recent weeks, Lincoln Chafee has indicated his motivation to take on Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in a Democratic primary bid to reclaim his former seat in the United States Senate, telling the Bartholomew Town podcast that he is at least 90% in on launching a campaign. Our conversation outlined several key differences between himself and Senator Whitehouse, his own journey as a blacksmith, public servant, and environmentalist, and his belief that the DNC should have nominated Senator Bernie Sanders instead of Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential race. All right, so we are here at the Bartholomew Town Lofts with former United States Senator, former Governor of Rhode Island, presidential candidate, and Mayor of Warwick, amongst many other things in life. Uh, the great Lincoln Chafee. So thank you so much, Mr. Chafee, for your time. We really appreciate it here. Thank you, Bill, for inviting me on your show. A real pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, nice, a warm day here. In yeah, this. summer's coming. We're getting there. Yeah, I'm actually The Robins dripping. are busy out there getting the worms. It's the, yeah, it's the magical time of year. Um, you've got quite a you know, resume is, is, is maybe inappropriate because it's, it's so much more than that. It's your life experience, um, and you've been in... in the public realm in Rhode Island and on the national and international stages for uh, quite some time. Uh, can you just give our listeners who may not be entirely familiar with your, your background a quick summary of what it is? Well, I'll add to that resume one uh, section that I'm very, very proud of, and that is after graduating from college, I had been working summers in construction as a laborer, and I wanted to get a trade and continue to do that, but not as a laborer. And I was looking at bricklaying schools, welding schools, and uh, I had a horse, and I saw a blacksmithing school. And so I went and got moderately proficient and then went on the racetrack and worked for a blacksmith and got much, much more proficient and then eventually went on my own out to uh, Alberta, Canada and worked on the harness tracks in Calgary and Edmonton for seven years. And one of my horses I'm very, very proud of uh, uh, set the track record for Western Canada. That's amazing. Yeah, with my shoes. That's incredible. What a, what a cool... I, I definitely remember hearing that that's mentioned over it, but there wasn't a lot of backstory beyond that you had pursued uh, becoming a blacksmith after college. Do you still do any of that kind of work today? Uh, my horse died about uh, five years ago. I kept so him gonna... in shoes, so I was good at it up until five years ago. I haven't shot a horse since then. Right. Such an interesting, you know, art form and, and uh, an ancient technology, really. You know, do you feel like that, that, that kind of inspired your way of thinking in other areas? Uh, very much it inspired me. Uh, you have to be agile and smart to get along with a thousand pound animal and horses are intelligent animals uh, as well as being big and to get under them and on the front feet and back feet and uh, pair out the hoof and nail on a shoe uh, does take some skill and confidence and uh, I certainly got that from that experience. Right plus that ability to communicate without using English just using feeling and whatever other messages you can convey. Absolutely, absolutely. Everything the horse is listening to them, their ears are working, they're listening, uh, and you don't want to get uh, them cross at you. No, <laughs> I can imagine. I've ridden a horse a few times. One, the one real time I did it was in Brazil. My wife's Brazilian, and we were down there, and I, this was my first time ever riding. And what an experience! As 
she took off and you just realize you have no control here and it's it's spiritual put it that way <laughs> nothing like a galloping horse no doubt about it um you're, you became mayor of Warwick in the 90s, is that correct? That's right. I was on the city council in the late 80s and then um, got elected in 1992 as mayor. At that time, was Warwick the second largest municipality? Yes, and still is. It still is, okay. Yes. Yeah, Cranston's on its way to overtaking it. Is, is that? Uh, well, yes, as our airport has expanded, we've taken houses uh, for the airport expansion, so it might be getting closer to Cranston overtaking us. And then you became, uh, you were appointed, if I'm not mistaken, to fill your father's United States Senate seat. Correct. I was running for it because he had announced his retirement, and in the process of running for it, uh, he died in office and the governor appointed me. So I served out his term and continued my effort on the reelect in 2000, or the election in 2000, uh, and was successful there. One of my proudest moments as a Rhode Islander was when you voted no for the Iraq War. Um, it, it's something that I still think resonates as part of our independent spirit, and you embodied so many of us when you when you voted no there. What was that experience like? You were the only Republican to vote no, um, and po- public opinion was so, f- in, in many ways, manufactured to be against voting no. What was that like? That was a courageous move on your part. Yes, and the vote was 77 to 23, so overwhelmingly uh, in favor. And as you said, the sentiment was very, very strong. But I grew up in the Vietnam era and saw the damage of those vets that not uh, that come home as well as those that lost their lives over there, the tremendous damage, uh, the Vietnam vets that came back and how difficult it is to come back from that type of experience and get right back into normal society. So I was just very, very cautious about uh, the so-called evidence of Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction. I was not going to rush into any uh, judgment without the clear, clear evidence. And there really was, Bill, never any real clear evidence. It was all talk. And uh, maybe my horse experience and having that confidence uh, helped me see through the fog and the lies uh, that were pumped at us. Uh, Mainstream media, uh, uh, the TV shows, everybody just uh, Saddam Hussein's coming down the mushroom cloud and fear and anger with the watchwords of the day. Uh, I'm very, the very proud. Axis of evil. Axis of evil. Terrorism was, watch list, all these, or whatever yeah, was the Red alert, orange alerts coming up every time they thought they're uh, losing some attraction on their rush to war. So you'd get an orange alert or a red alert. <laughs> Terrorists coming down Main Street. Right. Yeah, I had a professor at URI uh, that um, tipped a podium over because he was so upset that students were. Rev- setting dumpsters on fire when the Boston Red Sox won a playoff game against the Oakland Athletics. But then as these machines were being a, you know, uh, machines of control were being unleashed, like the terrorism alert chart and things like this, it was, there was a lot of apathy and just public opinion was sort of accepting this stuff, you know? Yes. The neocons got their Pearl Harbor that they wanted in 9-11 and they knew that then it would be so difficult for anyone to argue against uh, their uh, idea of regime change in Iraq, which they'd been talking about all through the 90s. Right. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Probably your experience with uh, your horse led to an instinct that, uh, or just a, uh, an, a la- uh, an empathy level that maybe was, you know, expanded beyond the average lawmaker. And not only, the, the as I said, uh, all the lives lost in, in Vietnam, and certainly the Vietnam Memorial drives that home deeper and deeper. You go into it, and the names pretty soon they're over your head. Uh, and, and then the, seeing the vets come back 
and the difficulty those Vietnam vets had. And post-traumatic stress syndrome is real. If you're out in the rice paddy getting shot at, uh, it's so different from just coming back to suburban Warwick and uh, working in, in the stores or wherever you might want to work. It, every little backfire of a car uh, brings back memories. It's, it, it's real, and I, I, I saw it. So I, I was going to be very, very careful about voting for any kind of conflict. Do you feel like we've done enough to address PTSD and, and everything that's been created from the war or the invasion, I should say? No, I don't. Uh, we, there was just a war authorization vote uh, in the Senate uh, sponsored by Senator Sanders from Vermont and Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, saying we cannot get into these secret wars, and they're specifically addressing Yemen, without debate and vote. And we can't be using some old authorization left over from 2001 after September 11th to be going into all these conflicts around the world. Yemen's the perfect example. The greatest humanitarian disaster going on right now. And they failed. They got 44 votes and they didn't get Senator Whitehouse, who I'm contemplating running against, particularly a large amount because of that vote, that what I would say a very, very bad vote. Uh, Sanders, a, a liberal uh, independent Democrat and Lee, a conservative Republican from Utah, getting together and saying, no, we need to address th- these uh, secret wars and have a debate and have a vote. If we're going to go in and the evidence is there and we'll have a vote, we'll go. But we can't just be giving the president carte blanche authorization to keep going and uh, creating these quagmires uh, that seem to go on forever. Right. And it's like, you know, lately the war has drifted from the public's view in many cases, like proxy wars between today, Iran and Israel disguised as elements of the Syrian civil war, the U.S. is kind of burying conflicts in parts of Africa and and all throughout the Middle East, Asia, uh, as, you know, sort of isolated incidents. But they really kind of seem like they're just whimsical wars. Yes, Niger. In, yes. in just reading about a huge drone base being built there by the, our military without debate, without vote by our Congress. And after Vietnam, they passed the War Powers Act of 1973, saying we're never going to let this happen again, where we get into a quagmire without debate and vote. And here we go uh, in, in March with this vote with the Sanders-Lee resolution, and they got 44 votes, and they got some Republicans, but they didn't get Senator Whitehouse, and it's a motivator for me. Let's, let's go to, let's go just keeping in the timeline, let's go to 2006 when uh, there was a wave of, as the pendulum often swings, there was a wave of anti-Republican um, sentiment. And at that time, Shen, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, now Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, challenged you uh, and defeated you in the fall. What was that experience like, given that your approval rating was well over 50 percent and you were basically being put partially anyway, blamed for uh, people who you had resisted from the get-go. Yes, after the election of 2004, in which Bush won re-election, I knew that night as I watched Ohio come in and give the election, re-elect for uh, President W. Bush, uh, Bush and Cheney getting re-elected, I knew my chances in 2006, two years later, were going to be very difficult if I stayed a Republican. And I was thinking that night, election night of 2004, what do I do? Uh, And my dilemma was that we had two big bills coming up in the next two years that would benefit Rhode Island if I stayed a Republican. The highway bill, which is hundreds of millions of dollars distributed to the states, and I'd be in the party in power, White House and Senate, both were still Republican, and being able to deliver for Rhode Island. And the other one was the base realignment and closure, BRAC. And that comes up every 10 years, and it was coming up in that 
uh, next two-year section. And that's where you save all your military installations, add to them, hopefully, or if you're not in the right party, often uh, lose these good, high-paying jobs. Uh, so I stayed a Republican, and I knew the consequences, uh, fought hard to keep the seat. But I, even with that high approval rating, uh, I think I was doomed. Uh, uh, Senator Whitehouse, all I c- uh, campaigned on during that election was just that I was a Republican, and, uh, and he won. Was that a sad feeling? Did you feel? How did you feel about that? Like, well, to be honest, Bill, uh, the argument that Senator Whitehouse was using uh, back then as a candidate was that they, the Democrats needed six seats to take control of the Senate, right. and Rhode Island was important as one of the six. And I was arguing, you're not going to get all six. There's one in Montana, there's one in Missouri, there's one in Pennsylvania, there's one in Ohio. You're not going to get all six. It's good to have somebody still in the majority party. When the election came, they did get all six. And so, to be honest, if I'd been elected, I would be the reason that the Republicans could, would keep all those committee chairs and keep the majority. It would have been tough for me because the, the agenda was so different from what I believe in on the environment, on fiscal uh, responsibility, on the, getting into these quagmires like Iraq and Afghanistan that go on forever. I almost was happy, if you can believe it, that if I was, if it had been only two seats or something like that, I would have been mad. But I was the the critical sixth seat. So I was okay with the voters in Rhode Island uh, putting that together and saying, now we have a Democratic Senate, now we have Democratic committee chairs. Uh, From my point of view, then, uh, it gave me the chance to then get out of the Republican Party, which I did. Right. And ultimately, of course, the democratically controlled uh, legislature did not... uh get out of Iraq after, anyway. So right. it, it, was, right. it wasn't all yes. for nothing, but, you know, in a way it didn't really element, uh, become what they had anticipated or uh, campaigned on. No, and then President Obama got elected on a, uh anti-Iraq war platform. That's how he beat Hillary Clinton in the, in the uh, primaries and then drone strikes, and it seemed to be the, the old neocon agenda just kept on going. Uh, so uh, Senator Whitehouse voted against, you mentioned warrantless wiretapping or... Um, I have talked about that frequently, uh, and that came up right after he won. It was a big, big vote on uh, uh, the government tapping our phones, and he voted off from most of the Democrats, and that, that infuriated me. I said, I, I, I'm glad you, the Democrats took over, and now you're not uh, taking on a new agenda that uh, benefits Americans. The Fourth Amendment's very clear. You need a, you need a warrant before you tap our phones. And uh, at, at that time, were you already considering running for governor, or did you have any thoughts of getting back into waiting out the six-year term and getting back into the Senate? And, and where, were you, where were you kind of at? Uh, well, I would I helped uh, President Obama as a candidate, and I was co-chair of uh, Republicans and Independents, because then I was in Independents for Obama with Susan Eisenhower. Uh, the two of us were the co-chairs of that. And uh, I hope to join the administration and and be part of some big change uh, from Bush and Cheney. Uh, that didn't occur, and then people were urging me to run for governor, so I ran for governor as an independent and got elected. And served two terms? Is that correct? That no, was one the, term. One term. Okay, yes. I was away during this uh, this period. Yes, so the so recession I... was on. It was tough, tough times. Uh, but I led the state out of recession, 
passed marriage equality, which I'm very proud of, passed the DREAM Act, uh, in-state tuition for our uh, undocumented students. So they finish high school and go to RIC and CCRI, right. URI, in-state tuition. Uh, so got a lot done as uh, as governor. Plus had to battle with Kurt Schilling and the 38 yes. Studios fiasco, yes, which Bill. was kind of teed yes. up by Governor Kachiri. Yes, dropped in my lap. Yes. It's just absolute insane investment of taxpayer dollars. Yeah, it makes you sick to your stomach as as a person who's, you know, I I know so many people, I'm sure you do as well, with creative ideas that are a lot more practical than that. And, Retired uh, baseball player, my it, gosh. Unbelievable, he yeah. Never had a business, and we gave him $75 million. It just boggles the mind. How does that happen? I mean, it's so bizarre. I know the Red Sox around here... Uh, athletes tend to be elevated sometimes above politicians or state leaders or artists or educators as far as an influence. But I can't imagine how that slipped through. Yes. And the Economic Development Corporation Board, the EDC board, uh, was full of uh, high ranking businessmen, the head of Gilbane, the head of Hasbro, the head of Lifespan Hospitals, the head of Verizon were all on the board. They voted for it. That, that's right. the head scratcher. Right. It's there. How could you, maybe the governor's for it, and he, as you said, he likes athletes or something, and right. they're elevated into some kind of upper status. But how about these uh, sharp um, chairmen of these committees, of these uh, uh, companies? Right, yeah. And they it, voted for it. Really and odd. And then my first day in office, uh, I was stuck. They've already made the $15 million payment. What am I going to do? Just uh, write that off? That's a big, big nut just to write off. Right. So we crossed our fingers and hoped it worked. And uh, their first game that came out, 38 Studios game, Kingdoms of Amalur, just didn't make it. And that was the end of the company. It's unbelievable. You know, and, and But I got a lawsuit, and yeah. everyone criticized me from a lawsuit. I'm going to sue uh, those that put this deal together, uh, Wells Fargo and uh, some of the lawyers that were involved. And I got most of the money back. Right. Got $70 million back. And now we also, we being the state around, I think we don't we have the intellectual rights to these computer video games if they ever were developed? Isn't there something like that? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Not happening. They're just being maintained for, for, yeah, for that. Yeah, Kingdoms of Amalur just it was a bust. Yeah. And during your, your tenure, was that the, the beginnings of the switch to Deloitte? And the, what was that experience like for you at, from, at the beginnings of making the new U-Hip or whatever they're calling it now, Road? Yeah. Bridge, whatever it is. Yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> well, we uh, after Affordable Care Act, so-called Obamacare, passed, yep. uh, we got busy putting together the apparatus to make our uh, rollout of the Affordable Care Act successful. And part of that was hiring Deloitte, which then we knew was going to go into the whole uh, UHIP program, get into the food stamps and, uh, and other areas of health uh, delivery. But the first challenge was uh, the rollout of uh, Affordable Care Act, and uh, we did a great job at it. We were the best in the, the country and even got an international award uh, out of London uh, for oh, there were only seven awarded uh, all over the world, something in Finland and some in Singapore and something in uh, Cameroon somewhere, and, and Little Rhode Island was yeah. one of the awardees for our rollout of the Affordable Care Act, and that was done with Deloitte. Uh, so I didn't have any trouble working with Deloitte and making it su successful uh, I mean, greatly successful getting this award out of London for our work. And uh, we had a great team that worked on it. Christy Ferguson and Richard Leach and uh, Elizabeth Roberts and uh, Steve Cosentino. They, these are all good people that uh, worked really hard to make this successful. I just don't think that happened in the next administration. They uh, just didn't. Uh, the governor laid off those state workers way too early. Uh, 
and just didn't have that fear that things could go wrong. We were so scared things are going to go wrong. Right. The last thing we would have done is lay anybody off uh, before it got rolling. I don't even want to lay anybody off at any time. Uh, but as we make our savings through attrition, we could uh, save positions. And they all, the, the current administration also rolled out the new program without having a backup or any way to revert to where we were before. So I think that a lot of it has just become a snowball effect at this point, you know, where there's so many problems. Yes, um, and they didn't listen to the federal overseers in Washington. Christy Ferguson was very active going down to Washington and talking to the people as we uh, uh, looked at rolling out the Affordable Care Act and always came back with more money to make, to make it work better. Uh, I don't think the uh, Raimondo administration really worked with the federal people who are, pay the bills. And, uh, and th- that was one of the problems. Uh, just didn't have that sense of urgency that uh, we've got to make this thing work. One thing also, if you're from during your I don't administ- think it's right to blame De- Deloitte. I mm-hmm. mean, she made the mistakes. I'd be more, I'd uh, be more honest about laying off those workers. We made mistakes, and it's not all Deloitte. And switch the blame. That's interesting because the talking point, if you know, on Tara Granahan or whatever, is how do you retain Deloitte? How's the how's the state still work with Deloitte given these problems? But then you think about, wouldn't Deloitte be the the best equipped to? kind of work your way out of any computer problems they built the system so yes yes know, it's 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 a bizarre incident now and it has a lot of serious consequences for sure so absolutely those poor people uh that uh nursing homes aren't getting paid and uh, the ramifications have been just catastrophic you um ran for president <laughs> and what i was i was amazed when when i heard you were one moment i remember is one of the earlier debates where uh, Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, had um, expressed that he, he he didn't really feel the need to continue to dig into Hillary Clinton's emails. Um, and my wife and I were watching the debate, and you uh, chimed in. That actually, I think we do need to take a look at these emails. Once again, I would thought that was a really um, bold way of approaching that debate. And when you exited the race, did you feel like you made a significant contribution to the, the platform and, and what was happening? Well, to back up, I uh, entered it because it didn't look like anybody was going to run against Secretary Clinton for the nomination. It was a coronation and all those words. Uh, and so if I, I saw the Democratic Party nominate John Kerry, who had voted for the war as, their, as our nominee in 2004 and lose to George W. Bush. Uh, and then Hillary in her 08 was defeated by a candidate that was talking about the Iraq war. So to nominate someone, Hillary again, Secretary Clinton, uh, that voted for the Iraq war, I thought was a mistake and we needed to debate it. And if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it. And then when Senator Sanders got in and then uh, former Senator Jim Webb from Virginia got in, Martin O'Malley, Governor O'Malley was already in. That, that was the field. And I just thought there was room for somebody to take, get traction and take off, so to speak. And who was it going to be? I, I hoped it was me. In the end, it was Senator Sanders. And there certainly wasn't room for two uh, to take off. And it turned out to be Senator Sanders. And I cheered him on, exited the race and said, go get her. And I hope you're the nominee and I'll vote for you. Uh, and, and now we live with the consequences of me being right. She wasn't a good candidate. Uh, and we have Donald Trump. Right. And that leaves us in a unique spot, at least in my lifetime. I'm 33, so I can remember back to the tail end of Bush one. Um, and I don't think there has ever been the type of at least rhetoric or behavior that's going on 
right now, uh, is this something that you kind of anticipate would happen if Donald Trump were elected? I'm infuriated. I'm infuriated how this could happen again. We had Bush and Cheney. And now we're back into almost worse, getting out of the Iran deal and, and, and uh, just chaos everywhere you look. How did it happen? It happened because the DNC was borderline corrupt. That's not, that's not even arguable. Uh, the, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and what Donna Brazil said afterwards and how they treated Senator Sanders and, and the debate structure and the primaries in, in California and in New York and Connecticut, some of these states. Uh, and we ended up with a nominee that lost to Donald Trump, and it, it infuriates me. <laughs> and now it's a motivator to run for Senate because Senator Whitehouse was one of those super delegates that ignored the wishes of Rhode Islanders who voted overwhelmingly for Senator Sanders. Senator Whitehouse went down to the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia and cast his vote as a superdelegate for Secretary Clinton. And in, when they called the roll for Rhode Island, even though we voted overwhelmingly for Senator Sanders, it was 20 to 12 for Clinton. That's a motivator. That's a motivator. How could you cast that vote when Rhode Island, across the state, rural, urban, suburban communities, wanted Sanders? And the worst part is then Secretary Clinton lost. Your, your candidate lost to Donald Trump, and we live with the consequences today. Supreme Court nominations and appointments, federal judgeships that are being set at a record pace right now. now that seems like their move is they've realized they may not confirm things or pass legislation, so they're just conf trying to confirm as many justices as possible. Absolutely. Right now. Absolutely. The Republicans are just cramming them through. And uh, these are the consequences of that poor decision, in my view, of uh, nominating Secretary Clinton. He's just voted for the Iraq war. Uh, there were the, the email issues. There was the Clinton Foundation issues. There was the speeches to Goldman Sachs. There were just too many issues. Do you feel um, more than 90 percent you're going to run for Senate at this point? Yes. Uh, right now, Bill, I'm doing a poll, uh, putting that together to get out in the field and test some of the issues I'm talking about uh, here on the show. Uh, warrantless wiretapping, the uh, Yemen vote, uh, the Sanders-Lee uh, resolution stopping the Yemen war, uh, the vote for Clinton at the Philadelphia Convention, even though Rhode Island went for Sen Senator Sanders. So we'll see how those results come back and whether I get over that 10 percent hurdle right. to, to get me in the race. Are those the main areas that you would say would differentiate you from Senator Whitehouse if you were reelected to the Senate and you were to go in there with those those areas you just named, are there any others that, that stand out as major differences? Yes, one more would be his lack of opposition to the Burrowville power plant, the frack gas power plant in Burrowville, the proposed plant in Burrowville. And he's been quiet on it and saying that I don't want to get my hands dirty in state issues. And uh, that's uh, you can't be giving speeches on the Senate floor every week on climate change and not get your hands dirty on an issue like this, in my opinion. So that's another issue I want to question and, and talk about debate. He, let him defend his, his uh, lack of a stance on the Burville power plant. The Burville power plant has been a landmark issue in terms of separating the Democratic uh, Party in Rhode Island, to me anyway, with a, you look at governor, uh, the gubernatorial race, the lieutenant gubernatorial race. There are ca candidates that you might say are more of a progressive Democratic uh, peer group or even wing of the party. Um, and then the Boroughville power plant becomes kind of the centerpiece of that discussion. Would you consider yourself part of that progressive Democratic group at this point? Well, I've always been a strong environmentalist, and however you want to put that, and you mentioned my time in the Senate and 
of voting against the Bush agenda on the environment was one uh, rollback of the clean air standards, drilling the Arctic National Refuge. There were many, many votes where I was a key vote, a key vote stopping some of the bad Bush-Cheney policies. So that has continued with my opposition to the Burville power plant, and there are alternatives such as Canadian Hydro uh, that is cheap and clean, uh, very, very inexpensive, doesn't contribute to climate change. So there are alternatives, and um, yes, this will be a big issue. What about uh, the wind turbines offshore um, in federal waters installing additional wind turbines to generate power? There's obviously you're creating a clean source of energy, but there's been studies suggesting that um, whales, other sea creatures, birds are are significantly being impacted by those uh, turbines being installed. So it's kind of a double-edged sword of environment. Where, do you have a position on those at all? Yes, I'm in favor. It's, it's expensive. Uh, that's my hesitancy, that, that power is expensive. Uh, but uh, the studies and the work that was done with the fishermen, with uh, the ornithologists, the bird people, uh, they did a thorough, thorough job, in my view, of reaching out to all the constituencies, the people on Block Island, it's in their viewscape, uh, and doing the best they could as they did the trial with the, the five that are out there now. And uh, it, uh, Rhode Island's got the advantage of good, steady wind and not too deep water, uh, just the right depth of water for these things. Uh, so we, we have to take advantage of our assets, and that is one. You go further north to Maine, the water's too deep. You go further south, you don't get the wind we get. Uh, so we, we have the wind and the right depth of water. Let's take advantage of it. If we work with all those constituencies that are affected, including the birds. Sure. And would you... Big a flyway of uh, migrating birds uh, that come through Block Island. Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you. That's, uh, just to mention them, is, it shows you're... you're you're on it, you know. Yes, we're is, out there banding birds so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Black Island to learn uh, what's coming through and uh, how that goes. And there's a lot of experts that uh, I learned from. That's amazing. Um, uh, would you consider s- selling energy that's produced by solar or uh, wind power and then distributing profits to, uh, obviously this is not in the capacity as a senator, but just in general you are up for or opposed to distribution of profits from natural resources to um, taxpayers in Rhode Island? Uh, yes, I, I'm a proponent of wind and solar. As I said, it's expensive right now, uh, and the hydro is inexpensive. Uh, it's the lowest cost uh, power, and it's clean. The turbines just run. The river f- runs downhill day after day. You don't have to wait for the wind to blow or the sun to shine. Uh, the problem is working with the native people, the indigenous people up there in the north, and also the transmission uh, how we get those big wires and the power down in New Hampshire has uh, uh, been uh, opposed to, they call it the Northern Pass route. Uh, and I understand that. You've got to work these out. And the Cree tribe up there in Quebec have been active, and they've, they've come more along as they can, as you said, reap some of the profits, uh, come back to them. Uh, and the Hydro-Quebec in, uh, is doing that with them. And it is a vast area. I've been up to see it. It is vast. And so there's plenty of land for the Cree and the caribou. And uh, This is a tiny fraction of uh, the vastness that is Quebec. Mm. The metric system, that was something that you had brought up in your uh, presidential uh, campaign. Um, it's bizarre that we have a different measuring system here in the U.S. when you really think about it. As a senator, would that be something that you would introduce a bill to potentially 
change back to the, uh, the well, metric system? Let me system? put it in perspective. I, uh, I gave maybe 100 talks, and in only one did I mention metric. Mm. But it has been branded on my forehead. <laughs> it is everywhere. Uh, and <laughs> nobody listened to anything else I said. And uh-huh. I think it's part of what has happened, an unfortunate uh, aspect of mainstream media, where it's, it's so shallow. And, and it's gotcha. And I knew when I mentioned metric that that had this potential. I just hoped there'd be more depth to reporting. And when I talked about metric, I talked about a change from the neocon so-called project for a new American century. And I said, that didn't work. And I don't believe that we should be the, the bully of the world. Let's have a new American century where we don't have drone strikes, where we ha- don't have capital punishment like the rest of the civilized world, where we don't torture prisoners, where we have ambassadors that aren't just all high donors to the candidate. So our diplomats are doing the work around the world. And by the way, why don't we join the rest of the world in how we do measurements? I didn't get any questions on ending drone strikes. I didn't get any questions on ending torture. I didn't get any questions on uh, 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 ambassadors going to donors. All it was is metric, metric, metric hysteria. But that's the truth. That's how... That's what I said. A project for a new American century. I want a new American century. And here's what we're going to be responsible leaders of the world, which we should be. And we're not if we're torturing prisoners. We're not if we're having extrajudicial, extrajudicial assassinations by drone. No trial, just zap, zapping somebody. And oftentimes we miss them and hit a wedding party or a, uh, civilians. Uh, and, and so it was very, very uh, shallow reporting through that campaign. They just wanted Hillary Clinton and the rest of you just go away. And if you say, make one little uh, uh, comment that can be used against you, we'll, we'll hammer you with it <laughs> here three years later. Totally. It, it's, that's why we have Donald, Donald Trump. Right. It's, in it's, the end. It's frustrating as, a, as an artist when you try to gain information to reflect back into the world. And you know, at this point, you, can you really trust anything from the New York Times all the way across to the right you know, for – you have to really do your own research sometimes to uh, or maybe that's always been the case but it just seems now more than ever it's it's very narrow casted and uh, entertainment oriented absolutely absolutely and you mentioned the new york times yeah there one of their reporters judith miller was caught just with brazen lies reporting brazen lies in favor of the iraq war right and uh, as i recall there right before the presidential election it was 93 they had a meter on the top of their web page that would kind of tell you where the who is likely to be elected president they had hillary clinton 93 percent likely i have a screenshot of it from election day morning so you know it just got it wrong they got it wrong should have nominated senator sanders let's just go to rhode island here as a Rhode Islander. What does that mean to you? Is, it, is there any is there anything specific about being a Rhode Islander? Is it, are we all just human beings, and, and we make too much about? No, being this the stuff? smallest state uh, uh, affects your character, and we we bump into each other. We know each other in this state. Uh, we're the second most densely populated state. Uh, where we have our ethnic groups: the Portuguese Americans, the French. Americans, French Canadian Americans, the uh, Italian Americans, the uh, Italo Americans, uh, Hispanic Americans. Uh, it's it's a great state. Yeah, it's it's also uniquely situated between Boston and New York. Do you feel like we do an adequate job of delivering um, new ideas, new people to Rhode Island, and exporting those ideas, or are there areas, physical ones like public transportation and and more uh, 
philosophical ways to do that better? Well, our greatest assets, of course, are our, is our natural beauty in uh, Narragansett Bay and Block Island and uh, Little Compton and South County, uh, yeah, the Blackstone River. I mean, it's just gorgeous, gorgeous. I've been all, every state, I've been in 50 states. This is by far the most beautiful. And the history. Here we are taping this show in a historic old mill, and who knows uh, what was made here and made well for many, many, many years. Uh, we just led the world with our uh, manufacturing, birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. So great history, great natural environment. Uh, those are our assets, and uh, that's why people like coming here. Those are two big sellable-ish uh, areas that people look at when they look to relocate. Is it beautiful? Is there history? And we have both. Is there enough affordable housing now in the state, in your opinion, or is that something we've got to look at? Uh, we have good planning laws uh, as we look to preserve the character of our state. And so it, it is hard to build new houses, and, and prices can rise. And so it's always an issue uh, we've got to look at. Hmm. I'm sure this is uh, – you can find affordable if you look hard enough. That's it. Yeah, you got to keep digging, though, right? It may not be on the top of Craigslist or whatever you're looking at. Yes, you know, this, the back and page. This, there's residences in this mill. Yes. Fairly affordable? Um, it's, it is fairly affordable. Um, it took me, I'd say, five months to find this. I was in Newport, and my wife would be drive, drive her up, drop her off at RISD or Brown, depending on where she was taking class that day and then scout out for apartments. And I was finding small, um, overpriced apartments, even after coming from New York, that were on the West End and sort of the brunch hipster areas, and of course on the East Side and the student. And that was, to me, uh, was unaffordable based on where I'm at. But as I started to come out here to Elmwood, um, we were able to find this space. And it's interesting. A lot of people said, oh, you got to be careful out there. You'll get shot. You know, you'll get caught up in uh, gang violence and uh, I have I've had a great experience out here. Very friendly neighborhood. Um, yes, there is abject poverty here, but that doesn't necessarily translate to violence. Yeah. Um, and you're but, right in a neat area with the International Institute here nearby. Yes. Yep. Darkest place and some good organizations right nearby. Yeah, and absolutely. Some vibrancy there. Most definitely, right. Macaulay House across the, st- uh, yeah. the street as well. Yeah. And the zoo. You know, I'm not yeah. a big fan of zoos. You know, penning and animals necessarily, but. It, since they're already there, they seem to do a good job yes, um, on research. one of the best. If you're going to have a zoo, they do it well. Right. Uh, last question. The media in Rhode Island, I came back here uh, a few years ago, started listening to WPRO, um, and I heard that you had kind of put a, I don't know if it was a full moratorium on going on talk radio as governor, um, at least that station. Uh, what prompted that? Was that John DePietro calling you Governor Gump or whatever it was and this kind of nonsense? Or was that more just a principle of? No, I think uh, it, it just started, as I said to the team, we've got a $400 million deficit. Our cities and towns are going bankrupt. Central Falls is in bankruptcy. Uh, state aid to higher education has been cut. The colleges are struggling. Rick, CCR. Let's really focus on our jobs. Be careful about getting out there and, and, and uh, getting off focus. Let's just focus on our job, get our state back. And... Um, that got translated into a ban. I, I, I don't really recall ever telling anyone, don't do anything. That's just right. not my style. Uh, but I made some mistakes in, as governor, and that certainly was one. Should have gotten out on talk radio more and mm-hmm. uh, let people hear what I have to say on some of these issues. Uh, that was a mistake, not doing that more. I've heard you lately quite frequently on uh, Tara Granahan's show and places like that, and it's, it seems like you have a very uh, comfortable relationship 
communicating on radio and so forth. And yes, she's very respectful. That's all I ask. I've, I, I'm a hardworking, honest person trying to do the right thing, uh, and all I ask is respect. Right. Same here as a, as a listener, and sometimes it can be extremely alienating to listen to uh, political talk radio because it gets into personal attacks and, and you know impersonations can be fun but they can also sometimes be just you know very childish and and uh, yes the providence journal is, as when i was governor their editorials were very very personal uh they call it in the legal profession ad hominem attacking yeah. the person not the the issue is that ed, ed acorn yeah, and, and these yeah, guys yeah, yeah sure. a lot of ad hominem hmm. What's the what's the solution for the future from your perspective of media? Where how does this get turned upside down? Where we can go back to uh, Ben Franklin and that even earlier than that, just ancient scrolls. Yeah, unfortunately, that acorn. I just don't think that's going to happen. Other yeah. people have called him a hater, and uh, I've certainly felt the brunt of it most recently on the distortion of what I said on uh, Russia and Putin. You right. really had to work hard to put that headline together from what I said. And the article reflected what I said, but the headline had nothing to do uh, with what I meant and what I actually said. And talking about a speech 11 years ago in 2007. Right. It's wild. So there you go. There's the, that's what we deal with in this shallow world of n- new media. Right. It's, it's strange. And, uh, you know, it's like sarcasm or just giving – it's almost like you can't give the listeners credit for being intelligent anymore. Uh, you know, you, you're going to – they almost want to work sometimes, work away from that, you know, and work on the perspective that the, at the listener's dumb or the reader's dumb. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll fill in the gaps in their information with their own opinion rather than with uh, presenting facts. So. Yeah, just experienced it, Bill, with this whole Russia uh, distortion of what I said and the points I want to make about so much emphasis on uh, Russians affecting our election when I, I think the mistakes were made by the DNC and you never read anything about the mistakes made by the DNC uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz as I mentioned and what Donna Brazil said I was the table the, the playing field was tilted against Senator Sanders the primary system uh, Rhode Island voting for Senator Sanders and then the vote at the conventions 20 to 12 for Clinton I mean it's all those things nobody talks about it's all blaming the Russians and uh, uh, and all they say now is chafing the Russians or uh, he, he doesn't agree with uh, that the Russians affected the election. I always said, yeah, they meddled, but did they change the outcome? Trump won 305 to 207. I don't think they changed the outcome. Now let's focus back on reforming the DNC so we don't have this happen again. I'm speaking as a partisan Democrat. Mm-hmm. What's your advice? Last question. If, if, if uh, you are uh, a unique character, um, someone who has commanded a, a unique public persona in Rhode Island and, and globally, what would your advice be to someone who is out there today, whether it's in public service, in the private sector, in art, academia, uh, whatever it may be, that what, in this current climate where there is so much narrow casting and there's so much, uh, for lack of a better term, hate out there, um, how, do you, how, do you, how have you navigated? You've made it so far through so many different offices and had so many walls put up in front of you, yet here you are possibly about to run for Senate again. Well, you mentioned uh, we've kind of taken uh, the, the criticism to the New York Times and their, uh, what they did with the Iraq War and for the Providence Journal for some of their editorials. And here we are on your show and people listening to it and they're looking for alternatives. And uh, that's going to be the answer. People will find 
uh, the voice that uh, they can believe somewhere they're going to find it and that's one of the great things about social media and uh, the new electronic age uh, people are finding the millennials are finding it my daughter and son and uh, they find who they want to listen to right they can find that authentic voice and uh, and compare and contrast yeah. or even just go with something that resonates with them but you know you can sift through a lot more it's the same with music as a musician you have that advantage of you can possibly on any given day reach almost anybody in the world with your art your music through social media and and at the same time it's that much more challenging to cut through having so much competition but uh it's just a new market it's just a new way of doing things and yeah and you never know you never know that's the beauty of it is uh every morning is just going to be a new day and and uh you know you can remain optimistic and i i hope you do as well given the the platforms that are out there for you to get your message out, you know, that there is a large audience for you. Well, thank you for inviting me on. It was Glad my, to be here. Absolutely. A true pleasure and an honor. Um, anything else you'd like to, to say to our, our audience out here? Well, we started off talking about the, working on the racetrack. I, I, so I'll say I picked the winner of the Kentucky Derby. Oh, this right year on, and yeah. Justify. So I like that name. <laughs> and justify my positions. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He ran a great race in the mud. That, those were some wild conditions yeah, for sure. Yeah, wild conditions. No, no Pouring rain. Right. And this horse just, well, he was beautiful. Do you, is there any r- track racing around here in Rhode Island? Not in Rhode Island. Uh, right across the border, there's some harness racing at uh, Plain Ridge. Uh, Suffolk is gone. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the industry with the, the betting dollar spread so wide. Uh, racing, horse racing is taking it on the chin. Mm. Well, I... I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you, I really I hope to see you moving forward here this Good luck summer. in your studio and the residents and uh, the neighborhood. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. You can also follow me on Instagram at Bill Bartholomew. Until next time, thanks for visiting Bartholomew Town. 